0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John, John chapter 16, John chapter 16. This morning we will find ourselves bringing to a close uh, the upper room discourse, what's known as the upper room discourse, and we could call it the uh, almost the final words of Jesus to his disciples before the cross. John chapter 16, verses 25 to verse 33, and God's inspired and inerrant word reads, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I no longer will speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of Your Word. And now as we spend a few moments and reflect upon them, uh, Father, we would just ask, I ask that Your Spirit would illuminate this text, open our hearts and minds uh, to receive those things that would come from from You. And so, Father, now as we um rest in this moment, uh indeed, would we have pressed upon our hearts peace for a troubled world. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have entitled this this sermon this morning, Peace in a Troubled World. And so we have come to the final words of the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus leading the eleven to the Garden of Gethsemane and into the arms of His betrayer and to His death within hours. But Jesus is not a defeated man. No, Jesus is a fighter to the end. But His fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler of this world. Within the course of this weekend, Jesus will model for His disciple disciples His method of warfare. The battle has always been and continues to be very real. In Deuteronomy chapter 36, verse 1, as Moses was going to be taken from this world, God told the people of Israel, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, the world, the people of the land. For Yahweh, your God, is the one who goes with you. And then as Moses did pass from this earth, and as they were getting ready, Joshua was getting ready to lead the people across the river, God gave very similar words to Joshua. And he said, be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. We too must not turn from the right or to the left. We must stay the course. We must finish the race. True and lasting peace is not for the passive faint of heart, but for the courageous. And so today we will focus on these final words of Jesus in His upper room discourse. Our focus will be on how to obtain peace in a troubled world. How to obtain peace in a troubled world. And we will obviously start at the beginning in verse 25, peace through the word. Uh, the heading I have for this first point, I have three. The first is peace through the word. In verse 25, if you have it open, your Bible's open there before you, you will see that Jesus starts out with these things. Of course, the things that Jesus is referring to and speaking of are these things that he has said up to this point. We have spent Many weeks in this upper room discourse, starting all the way back from chapter 13, verse 1. And yet they spoke it, Jesus spoke it within a matter of hours, and I'm sure even more than is recorded for us. But Jesus spoke many things, and these are the things that he is now speaking of. These are the things that he is now referring to when he says, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. Figurative language we should just simply understand as veiled sayings. Some want to say it's like, like parables and very much so. Uh, it could be called, I guess, parables. Uh, some want to say that it's in story form. There's many different definitions and many, uh, different commentators put, uh, different opinions or opine much on, uh, what that means to have figurative language but but for myself uh, as we think about figurative language and what he was referring to I just want to walk back a little bit and kind of go through the gospel of John and not go through the whole gospel of John but I just do a little bit of a survey of what some of these figurative sayings or figurative language that Jesus is referencing here and Jesus had spoken about tearing down the temple and raising it back up in three days. And maybe I need to pause here for just a moment uh, and, and also add here as a footnote that I often had to remind myself. And now I remind you this morning of it also. And that is that we're on this side of the cross. And so we see the, the story from a 30,000 foot view, if you will. And we can see the whole package. But just imagine how strange this must have been for the disciples before the cross as Jesus was in their midst and saying some of these things. So Jesus had spoken about tearing down the temple and raising it back up in three days. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus spoke of living water which quenches the thirst forever. And this water would flow from within the believer's as rivers of flowing water. And Jesus spoke of people who would never see death. And He also spoke, Jesus spoke about Himself as the one whose flesh the believer must eat and whose blood the believer must drink. And although Jesus was only 30 years old-ish, He said, before Abraham was, I was. And Jesus also claimed He is the Good Shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. And so, yes, directly the, the things that Jesus is speaking of here are the things going all the way back from uh, uh, John chapter 13 at the beginning of the discourse. But he's also referencing all the things he has said up to this time in his ministry. And so figurative language, yes, yes very much so veiled sayings yes very much so hard to understand yes very much so parables maybe some today would want to say that we too need to preach or teach or talk as Jesus did in story form i was reminded thinking through this about a textbook that I had in one my one homiletical class my one preaching class uh and it was it was by um uh, Eugene Lowry and it was it was quite a, a a well-used textbook, I might say, but the title of it is Homiletical Plot, The Sermon as Narrative. The Sermon as Narrative. And it didn't resonate with me, and after I read this, you'll probably see why it didn't resonate so much with me, but this is my first introduction to how to preach. And in there, uh, Lowry says this. He says, A sermon is not a doctrinal lecture. It is an event in time, a narrative art form more akin to play or novel in shape than a book. Hence, we are not engineering scientists. We are narrative artists by professional function. Does it not seem strange to you that in our speech and homiletical training, we seldom consider the connection between our work and that of the playwright, the novelist, or the television writer? I propose that we begin regarding the sermon as a homiletical plot, a narrative art form. sacred story sacred story indeed but I'm not much of a novel writer I'm not much of a playwright I'm not much of an engineering scientist forensic science maybe (laughs) but when we think about Jesus teachings when we think about our proclaiming the message of the gospel we must be clear Jesus said, no longer will I speak in figurative language, but Jesus spoke in parables, not for clarity or interest, but for ambiguity. That's why Jesus, so we certainly don't want to emulate that. We certainly don't want to model or copy that. I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, when his own disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, Why do you speak in parables? In Matthew chapter 13, he spoke in many things in parables, he said. And then a few little bit later, when he was going to give the explanation, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Why don't you just speak plain Arabic, plain English? Why don't you speak? Why don't you speak clearly so that the people understand? And Jesus said, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been granted. For whoever has to him, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, Jesus says, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then it goes on to, to quote Isaiah. In, in their case, the prophecy Isaiah has been fulfilled. You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. Jumping down to the end, Jesus adds his own commentary to Isaiah. And he says, blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears, because they hear. For truly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see and they did not see it and to hear what you hear. And they did not hear it. Now, why did I take the time to, to read that? I took the time to read that because that still holds true today. As we think about the teachings of Jesus, those who are not followers of Jesus, those who are not, they don't understand it. They they hear it. They see it. But it does not resonate within them. Does not resonate within them to make this point just a just a little more clear in in case I haven't already. um, uh, But Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus had risen from the grave. Remember the story? The disciples are walking down the road, a couple of them. And they're talking amongst themselves. And and, and and along comes Jesus. And hey, what's up guys? You know, and, and all that. You remember the story? You remember the story, I think so. And so I want to remind you there of Jesus. And what Jesus actually was after the cross. And Jesus was a theologian. And Jesus here gives them a lesson in bibliology. In biblical theology when he does this in verse 27. He says, Then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In all the scriptures. Jump down a few more verses to verse 44. Now Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, and all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms. That entails the complete Old Testament, the Bible that they had in their day. And then he goes on and he says, Then he, then Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so this is what Jesus did. So now Jesus is saying here, listen, listen, listen up, listen up. listen. Up. I'm going to speak to you no longer in figurative language. I'm no longer going to speak to you in parables. I'm no longer going to speak to you in story form. I'm going to speak to you plainly and clearly. How was he not speaking clearly? He was, but their minds were not opened. That is, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on the people. And now that is what we have. The Spirit opens our minds for us. We need open minds. We need clear teaching. We don't need theatrics. We don't need culturally relevant talks. No. Listen, there is no peace in ambiguity. Peace in a troubled world. There is no peace in ambiguity. Jesus spoke plainly. Jesus spoke clearly we like it or not. But there is no peace in ambiguity. Peace comes by understanding. Peace comes by understanding as the Holy Spirit illuminates our mind. Remember last week as we looked at, uh, I think it was last week, in John chapter uh, 16, obviously, verse 13, where Jesus said this. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all all truth. And listen, listen. As I reflect on this first point, uh, peace comes through the word. I really am a broken record. I really am. And you're already ahead of me, right? (laughs) But all I got is the Bible. That is all I have. That is all that we have. And the power of the Holy Spirit illuminates it for us. Jesus is no longer speaking in figurative language. Jesus is quite clear in what he's saying. He's quite clear in the instructions he has given us. Do we want to hear? Do we understand? Or do we want to go our own way? That really is the question for us this morning. I don't have any mystical experiences. I don't sit on my front porch and drink coffee and Jesus doesn't come and sit beside me and we have a chit chat. No, that's not how it works. Jesus speaks to me through the scriptures. You want to hear Jesus speak? Read the scriptures. It's exactly what Jesus did from the road to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures and he opened their minds so that they could understand what was written, what was written there. Listen, peace comes through the word of God. Peace comes through the word of God. Point two goes hand in hand. Peace comes through belief. Peace comes through the word of God. Peace comes through belief. <clears throat> I could have many, many more points here, of course, but I'm going to sum them up in three. So these are verses 26 through 31. For those note takers among us, you can write that down. Verses 26 to 31. Peace through belief. Starting in verse 26, Jesus says, in that day, well, 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 what day is he speaking about here? I, I mean, obviously there's multiple days that he's speaking about here, of course, but in the context of what he's speaking about here and what I'm thinking he's speaking about here, it's in that day when he poured the Holy Spirit out on all believers, right? That day, you will ask in my name, you will ask in Jesus' name. And I do not say to you that I will request on the Father on your behalf. And see, up until this time, the disciples had Jesus right there with them. If they needed, if they needed some food, Jesus took some bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and it was the miracle of multiplication, right? He took some fish, he did the same thing. Oh, April 15th came and went. Aren't you glad we got an extra month this year to pay our taxes? Did you all know that? I just, never mind. <laughs> just making sure you're still here with me. But did you, did you go down and to the bay, to the river, catch a fish, open his mouth and find your taxes there? But that's what Jesus did for them. See, every step of the way, Jesus was with them. And now he's saying, look, look guys, you're not going to be asking me. You're going to be asking the Father. Again, just imagine how strange this must have felt for them. It says, verse 26, you will request of the Father on your behalf. You'll be asking the Father on your own behalf. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to, though Jesus always says, pray in my name. But yet you you go to the Father on your own, Jesus says here. For the Father himself, verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. For the Father himself loves you. We now have direct access. And we've seen that last week also at the end of those two verses as I kind of quickly slid in the home plate there and summed those up, I guess. When we think about going to the Father or going to Jesus and going to the Father and asking whatever we ask in Jesus' name, He will give us. Remember, this is exactly what Jesus is saying here now. Those things that are in the mind and in the spirit and in the character and in the nature of Jesus, those are the answers. Those are the prayers. Jesus, the Father, God, the Father answers. And so when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, remember that, right? Father, Jesus said, pray like this, right? Our Father who art in heaven, how be your name. He taught them to pray to the Father, to the Father, uh, even before or right here. So in verse 27, though, I do want you to notice um, uh, who the Father loves. Right? So verse 27 says, For the Father Himself loves you. Well, why? Because you love me, Jesus says, Because you love me. Because you love me, the Father loves you, and you're going to have to circle the end if you're a, a writer in your Bible as I draw circles and arrows and everything. Uh, you got to circle the end and believe, right? And believe that I came forth from the Father. This is who the Father loves. Those who love His Son. Those who love Jesus. And not only love, not only in word, but believe. And believe, of course, would, would equal action. Look at verse 20, uh, 28, yes. In verse 28, we have uh, four subpoints here we're going to cover quickly because Jesus says that the Father loves those who love me and the Father loves those who believe. Believe that I came forth from the Father. And I just might stop right there and add once more. Those who want to say that they're Christian or those who want to say that they live a good moral life and they believe in God and deny Jesus as Christ. No, 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 they don't. They may be good moral people. But there is only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Listen, you can be the best person in the world, but you deny Jesus, there is no hope for you. Love Jesus, believe Jesus. It is the only way. And Jesus says here in verse 28, I came forth, by the way, that won't make you any friends in the world. (laughs) Thinking of our title, peace, (laughs) peace, peace in a troubled world. They will certainly find that troubling when we say Jesus is the only way. Jesus says in verse 28, I came forth from the Father, and I've come into the world. And then He says, I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. And and there's four things that just quickly I want you to notice. I'll try to do it quickly that I want you to notice here. And the first, Jesus says, is I came from the Father. And and, and I might stop here again. Um, When we think about belief, what do we have to believe? Well, what do we have to believe? Well, I think these four points are at least in that. And it's this. Jesus says, I came from the Father. What is he saying? He here is once again claiming the deity for himself, the deity of Christ. He's once again claiming to be God, to be of God. In John chapter 8, verse 42, when the religious people were arguing with him, he said, if God were your father, see, they were claiming God, but denying Jesus, and they said, no, Jesus, said, no, 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 that's not how it works. If God were your father, you would love me. Why? For uh, I proceeded, this is telling you why, for I proceeded from or forth and have come from God. Jesus, said, I didn't come on my own initiative. But he, God, sent me. We must believe in the deity of Christ. Second, Jesus came into the world. He lived among us. This is the incarnation of of Jesus. Fully man and fully God. Not 50% God. Not 50% man. 100% God. 100% uh, 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 man. John started out his gospel. With the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten Father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus here is claiming the deity. Deity. This is his incarnation. And then he says, I am leaving the world again. His death and his resurrection. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been said on the cross. Right? All things had been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures. He said, I am thirsty. And then he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he will now be leaving, going forth to the Father. And this is his ascension. His ascension. We must believe in the bodily death or bodily resurrection. Of Jesus and ascended to the Father. It's foundational for the Christian Christian faith, and then His ascension. And I want to um, go to Acts chapter one. In Acts chapter one, and verses uh, starting at verse nine, as we see the ascension of Jesus. And after He had said these things, um, He was lifted up. This was after Pentecost. This is at the end, right? You're, you're familiar. With it. And He was lifted up, and they were looking. And a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while He was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taking up from you into heaven, will come again in just the same way as you watched him go. This verse has had a profound impact on me as a youngster. Think about that. Here you have some disciples. They're standing there. They see Jesus ascend into heaven. And these guys, these angels come and they say, Look, guys, do what he's commanded you to do. Go into the all the world. Right? And share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Guys, get on with the work He's given you to do. Because He's coming back. And we think about peace in a troubled world. As we think about a world that is very confused. And that is struggling to find its way. Listen, as Christian people. We don't find our peace here. We find our peace in this promise that Jesus will return. Would it not be cool? Maybe I'm the only one. But I think, I was talking to somebody this week, and I don't know who it would have been, but could you imagine to be on this earth and seeing Jesus return as he left? Would anybody like to see that? I mean, that to me is just absolutely exciting to think that. But this is what we believe. And again, I say this in the context of this title of this sermon, Peace in a Troubled World. Listen, we have to keep things in perspective. We have to understand that this too will end. And Jesus is returning. Then we will indeed have peace. But we've got to be courageous. We've got to be strong. We have to continue to battle forward, right? Our enemy is not flesh and blood, but is in the evil, the principalities of this world, right? We're not going to find peace in this world. Not in that sense. Not in that sense. But we continue on, um, and they said this in verses 29 to 30. And then his disciples said, "Lo, I, I love this. It had to be the Spirit opening their minds because it doesn't seem any more clear than it was before, and all of a sudden the guys are saying, "Now you are speaking plainly and not using a figurative, a speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, Listen to this confession. By this, we believe that you came from God. We hear this simple confession of the disciples right here. We hear this simple confession of belief, this simple confession of faith. And again, I I, I have to stop for just a moment as we think about the Christian life. And we think about the confusion that we find around us. There's a few a few things that we must believe. And at the very, very pinnacle, at the very tip top, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It must start there. It must start right there. I, I, have, a, I have a chat about every Wednesday morning with a fellow who comes into the coffee house and he likes to lay out this pyramid. And he says, you know, we start where? And as it comes down, we end up down here. And I would offer to you this morning that at the very pinnacle of that, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we can't get past there, then nothing else down here matters. At the very least, we must believe that we must believe in his virgin birth. We must believe in his physical death. We must believe in his physical resurrection. And we must believe in his physical ascension to God the Father at the right hand, right? This is the Christian faith. As we think about the confusion, as we think about finding our way, as we think about the bloggers and the vloggers and the YouTubers and all these people that are coming at us and they make good arguments and they make good confusion storylines. Go back to the Word, go back to the Word, go back to the Word. Jesus says, Do you believe? In the original language, this could also be in statement form. As Jesus proclaiming, Now you do believe. Though in the context, I I, I think the question mark should be there. Now do you believe? Jesus says, I believe that your confession is genuine and that your faith is real. But is it full grown? Right? Is it full grown? Has it reached maturity? Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? And are you sure that you can stand your ground when the enemy suddenly appears? Listen, we have it so easy right now. And thank God for that. We don't want it hard. But in the midst of it right now, I don't know that our faith has been duly tested. The time may come. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet and I work for a non-profit. Um, (laughs) I have to give that to who said that. Um, I'll think of his name pretty soon. The Canadian from up north. Anyways, he said that. So I steal that line from him. But what I'm saying to you, the time can come where we indeed may be challenged. And will our anchor hold? Listen, Jesus isn't questioning their faith, right? Because he prays for them. And we'll see this next Sunday, I think, where he says in verse uh, 7 and 8, he says, Now they have come, as he prays to God the Father, now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And what? And they received them and truly understood them that I came forth from you and believe that you sent me. Received, understood and believe. Right. Received, understood and believe. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the confession that he has received to them. And my friends, this is what I want to say. I do believe uh, that we all need to grow in our faith. You know, many who want to label themselves and proclaim themselves as mature, I'm not 100% sure. And of course, that's not for me anyways to make that call. It is for me to, to give you this and let God use it however you like. But I think many of us need to mature in our belief, mature in our faith, so that we indeed can stay. As we see the disciples here themselves, we're scattered. Right? They came to the very end, and they scattered. They scattered. To grow in belief, to mature belief, Jesus said, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. We must hold on to what is true to be mature. We must allow time to work into our life. As Peter had said, they're like newborn babies. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. We must believe that we must have truth. Peter's saying it comes from the Word. Hebrew, the author of Hebrew, said this. By this time, he said, you ought to be. You ought to be teachers. But yet you have once again to have someone teach you. Teach you. And so it's just a reminder that we need time. Though time, if it's not exercised properly, time, if it's not utilized properly in our faith, will not bring us to maturity. But trials will. Trials will. So truth, time, and trials. Trials will. From last week, as we... As I spoke, it was from grief to joy, from grief to joy. In verse twenty-two, therefore, you too will have grief, but you will, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. No one will take your joy away from you. So our grief turns to joy. How? Through the trials of our life. That's how. What do we do with those things? You know, I'm often reminded of that. Who, who those who want to claim or deny, I should say, that there is God, because there's troubles and there's trials in their life. And I'm often reminded and I and I will remind them if it seems appropriate that with or without God, you still have the trials. You still have the trouble. Why do you want to toss aside any any possibility of hope? Right. Right. Because peace comes through the word and peace comes through belief. Therefore, therefore, we can have peace in a troubled world. Peace in a troubled world, he says, for you will be scattered. You're going to be scattered to your own home. Home is not there in the original language, and I don't think we should understand it as home. I think that I think we should understand that as you two are going to be scattered and you two are going to duck for cover. You two are going to hide out wherever to get away from those who are questioning you as they did Peter. Hey, hey, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of them? Right. So I don't think they went scattered and went home. I think they fended for themselves. And as they ran from those who are also questioning Jesus or them as they seen them haul Jesus away. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, when he quotes Zechariah, he says, you will all fall away because of me. This very night. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus said, the wolf snatches them and scatters them over and over and over again. Jesus was talking about this night. And I think through inspiration, this also applies for us today. This could apply very much for us today. We must be prepared. Persecution or things are challenged. Our faith is challenged. Are we going to scatter? Or is anchor going to hold hold fast? He says in verse 33, so that you may have peace. This is the purpose of it all. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. You may have peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you peace. Jesus already told the disciples this back in John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus says, in me there is peace. In the world you will have tribulation, he says. It's just trouble involving direct suffering. It's oppression, it's affliction. It's the same exact word that we've seen last week. As anguish that a woman in labor, as she gives birth, she no longer remembers the anguish she went through. It's the same exact word. We're going to have those trials. We're going to have those struggles as Jesus compared it to childbirth. That's what we're going to have in the world, he says. In John chapter 16, verse 2, they will make you outcasts. They will drive you from the synagogues, but the hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to me, you know, driven from the synagogues. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? Not much, not much, but in their time, in this context, it was a loss of family. It was loss of community. It was loss of job. It was loss of credibility. It was loss of anything. It could have driven them to become beggars if a Jewish person was cast out of the synagogue. So when Jesus is saying that this is what's going to happen to you, be prepared. It is coming. You must stay strong. You must continue in courage. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. It's just to be firm, to be unwavering. We know what it means to stay strong and courageous, to not be afraid. Early, early in this little fledgling church, after the ascension of Jesus in the 5th chapter of Acts, when the church council came after the disciples for preaching Jesus, they flogged them and said, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. How did they respond? Did they run then? No, they did not. But they went away from the presence of the consul, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer. And not just suffer, but to suffer shame. Something we really try to hide from as Christian people is shame. We're worthy to suffer shame for his name, for Jesus' name, for Jesus' name. Hebrews, by faith, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the faith chapter. By faith, Moses. Think about this guy Moses. Right? I mean, here he is. And think about how God spared his life. Now he is the son of Pharaoh. He's next in line, if you might want to say that, to the President of the United States, to the greatest ruler everywhere. And yet he says, no, I'll pass. Really, Moses? (laughs) You're going to pass? Yep, because I'd rather endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. John tells us in his epistle or in his uh, letter, said that in victories overcomes the world. Our faith, this is the victory. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I'll use the words of Martin Luther to put a period on this upper room discourse where he said this. He said, Thus is the good night. The hand has been shaken. Shake hands. <laughs> A hug, we might say in our language today. But very forcefully does Jesus conclude with the very thing that are, around which His whole discourse had turned. Let not your heart be troubled. Be of good cheer. And I would add my own closing words to those using the words of Jesus that must have rung in the disciples' ears. And it must ring in our ears today. You can have peace in a troubled world. Why? Because I, Jesus says, have overcome the world. This is why. How can we overcome the world? Because Jesus already has. But clarity comes through the word. Clarity comes through belief. And these two, the word belief equals peace in a troubled world. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for your model. I thank you for your warnings. I thank you most of all for your courageous belief in God, belief in yourself, to go through with the task that you have been given so that we can go through with the task that we have been given. And so, I, Father, I I thank you um, that we can have peace in a troubled world quite simply. doesn't mean it is simple to live out, but just quite simply, We love you. We believe in you. And so, Father, I pray um, that that is the confession that every single one of us here this morning can make. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.